Hello, welcome to This Week in the ACC, the podcast for allsportsdiscussion.com. The podcast co-host, this is one of your podcast co-hosts, Jeff, and my Twitter account is at TalkinACCSports. My co-host and moderator is Matthew, and you can find him on Twitter at HokieSmash underscore ASD. I'm going to turn it over to Matthew now as he introduces our guest. Welcome to This Week in the ACC. This is the podcast for allsportsdiscussion.com. This is the longest-running independent ACC podcast in the United States of America. Joining us tonight is National College Football blogger Matt Zemick, who is also a member of our team at allsportsdiscussion.com, and he is the editor of At Trojans Wire. That's At Trojans Wire. He's been a college football writer since 2001. Again, Trojans Wire, T-R-O-J-A-N-S-W-I-R-E. That is a blog for uh, the uh, University of Southern California Trojans, right? That he is a blogger for the Pac-12 conference, really for the Pac-12 team, and now they're no longer a Pac-12 team. They were when he first was with us on this podcast. They're now a Big Ten team, and he is essentially a Big Ten writer. And you're right. I'm not seeing – I'm right. <laughs> I'm right. I'm not – Unfortunately, I'm not seeing here Matt here tonight, and I think that we're having tefti- technical difficulties again here. So with um, Matt, oh, and I think I see him joining the room here now. Maybe, maybe the third time is the tar- charm here. Jeff, caller Matt Zemick is live. Hello, Matt. Yay, oh. we got him on. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't think you guys or myself did anything differently than before. So, whatever. I'm glad I'm just inside the ropes. <laughs> just, just, just before everybody was ready to give up. How about that? <laughs> we're here. Hey, we're happy to have you here as a Big Ten writer. I'm happy to be here. And, you know, you've got to play that Masters piano theme. It's a tradition unlike any other. Took, a, took us a while. There was a 45-minute rain delay at the first hole at Augusta National, but we, we got there. We got it, man. We got it. So welcome back to the All Sports Discussion ACC podcast. You've been here frequently, Matt. This is the longest-running ACC podcast in the United States. Please tell us about yourself, where you went to school. Talk about what you've been up to. I mean, I'll tell you, you were part of one of the biggest stable of writers in college football at collegefootballnews.com, and that's where Jeff and I really got to know you but you've been all over the place the last several years and you're you've had a place you're at a place now which is really a place under your own your own you know really your own i want to say your own your own empire your own empire you know and you know you've got a lot of people that are helping you in this in this group a lot of a good stable of writers and we want to hear everything here matt the floor is yours well, you know who's helped me at Trojans Wire over the summer? Uh, uh, all sports discussion. That's who's helped me. Um, uh, we got a lot of in- we at Trojans Wire got a lot of input from both of you uh, on you know ACC Pac-12 realignment scenarios, how the national map's going to change, 
And uh, one of our most read stories at Trojans Wire was an article called, you know, the 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 ACC chessboard, uh, how the how the uh, realignment map uh, is going to evolve. And this was from July, of course. Um, but uh, you know, all, all sports DACC helped uh, walk our Trojans Wire readers through scenarios. You know, where where's Virginia going to go? Where's North Carolina going to go? You know, what are the options? What are the realistic possibilities? You know, are they more likely to stay? Are they more likely to leave? And so all sports discussion really helped me with that piece. And it really leads into, you know, I know we're going to talk about 2022 ACC football, but let's just tackle this particular part now since we're kind of on it. And that is that, you know, if, if the ACC, if I'm, if I'm the ACC, if I'm Jim Phillips, uh, I'm trying to reach out to George Klyavkov uh, and strike a deal for non-conference scheduling, get that locked and loaded. And what the ACC can do is, well, first off, the ACC should play breakfast football. All right. You know, people are going to watch uh, Pitt and Virginia play a fun 42-35 game at 11 in the morning or 10, even 10.30 in the morning. They'll watch that game before all the other games get going. And, you know, we're, we're going, going to enter a world two, three years down the line where, you know, the, the evil axis, uh, you know, the, the Big Ten and the SEC, they're going to have all those mainline games in the noon 3.30 and 7.30 windows. You know, Fox is going to have big noon Saturday, then the CBS number three Big Ten game of the week at 3.30, then the number two Big Ten game of the week on NBC Big Ten Saturday night at 7.30, and then ESPN, uh, ABC, Disney, you know, with Texas and Oklahoma in the SEC in 2025, they're going to have a feature SEC game at noon, a feature SEC game at 3.30, a feature SEC game at 7.30 with all those brands. You know, there's going to be Bama, Oklahoma, and Georgia, Texas, uh, and all these elite matchups. So if I'm the ACC, I don't try to go directly up against those three windows noon, 3.30, 7.30. What I try to do, I get a breakfast game at 10.30 or 11 so that people stay locked into that. And so that game ends before that noon uh, Fox game or that noon uh, ESPN game on the Big Ten or the SEC get into the fourth quarter. I mean, the, the, so breakfast football is a way of getting a good ACC game. You know, obviously not your top game, but like your number three game. That can be done by um, you know, 2 p.m. You know, before uh, ESPN's or Fox's you know noon game in the Big Ten or the SEC gets into the fourth quarter. So that's number one. But then the other point, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the the whole alliance that alliance never really worked out because of why it was a handshake agreement. It wasn't binding. It didn't have teeth. You know, and of course, Kevin Warren uh, ambushed George Klyavkov by pulling USC and UCLA to the Big Ten, if George Klyavkov had, had put real teeth into the alliance, meaning, you know, these are binding terms and conditions, and you, Kevin Warren in the Big Ten, you have to give us, you know, some money, some say, some leverage, and some finite commitments. When that was just a handshake agreement and there was no actual uh, inventory traded or bargained, you know, that the Pac-12 didn't have leverage. So, that should be a lesson for Klyavkov, also Jim Phillips, and the two of them need to hammer out a finite agreement with definite terms, 
Uh, and, and, you know, what that would do is, you know, I've mentioned breakfast football Well, then the ACC should also have late night football on the West Coast. I mean, obviously, you remember Virginia playing BYU. Well, let's just switch that to Virginia playing Utah. Let's get, you know, other ACC teams making road trips to play a late Pac-12 game. Maybe not maybe not in the 1030 Eastern window, but maybe you play a game at nine Eastern, you know, six Pacific. But you get ACC teams making road trips out West could also help with recruiting. But. I envision a world where the ACC can have a breakfast football game at 1030 Eastern. That would all always be on the ACC network, you know, giving the ACC network that exposure. Uh, and, and, and you would then have a game at two. You would then have a game at 530. And then you'd then have a game at nine. So untraditional windows, you know, that is something the ACC and also the Pac-12 Need to be need to think about. You know, you don't want to go head to head against those prime noon, three thirty, seven thirty windows. So you should stagger your start times so the ACC network can get a quadruple header every Saturday, a breakfast game that is is an all ACC game, or maybe an ACC versus uh, versus uh, uh, AAC, or maybe a- ACC versus Mountain West, or ACC versus Big Twelve in the breakfast slot. And, but then you have conference games at 2 and 5.30, and then you get an ACC Pac-12 night game of the week at 9 o'clock. So four games, you showcase the ACC network, and what does that do? ESPN has more inventory. ESPN needs inventory because it's been shut out of the Big Ten entirely in this new media rights package. You know, it's Fox, CBS, and NBC uh, under the Fox banner. So you give ESPN a reason to uh, get more inventory, to include the ACC in that, to bring in the Pac-12 as a partner for those later games. Those are the things that the ACC should be doing with its media rights strategy. So I know, guys, I you, you, know, you asked me the introductory question, and I know I segued right into you know, one of the planned items in our agenda, but like that just fit because it, all sports discussion has been a real partner of Trojans Wire the past few months, uh, I certainly hope that it's resulted in growth in readership for all sports discussions. I can say it's definitely inc- increased uh, readership uh, here at Trojans Wire, and I'm very thankful for that. Oh, you're you're more than kind, and we we appreciate you so much, Matt. So let's get to this. Uh, let's get to this, uh, and it's been. And by the way, it's been a great partnership for us too. So, uh, and I can't tell you how kind you, how kind you were with posting those links and giving us publicity. And, and we're, we're just really thankful for that. And we're thankful that you're here tonight. So, Matt, let's get right to it. Give us your thoughts on the new coaching hires in the ACC. What an offseason. Yeah, a very busy offseason. So I think that Virginia and Duke did great, uh, all things considered. I think that, you know, getting Tony Elliott to Charlottesville, uh, getting a, a coach who, you know, he's, he's coached Deshaun Watson. He's coached. Trevor Lawrence, and now you give uh, Brennan Armstrong uh, Tony Elliott this year, but then Tony Elliott can then say, look at all the great quarterbacks I've tutored. So that's going to keep the quarterback talent flowing into Virginia. Uh, I, I, you know, I see a lot of promise and potential in that. And then you know, just, if Tony Elliott can figure out the defensive side of the ball, you know, I think the offense is going to be uh, rip roaring great uh, at Virginia. You know, just can the defense come along and be, reasonably good doesn't have to be spectacular but reasonably good 
And I think Tony Elliott can have a real successful tenure uh, at UVA. And then Mike Elko at Duke, you know, that was, that was a pretty impressive pull. I mean, you're taking a guy who, you know, is working under Jimbo Fisher and Jimbo Fisher just recruited the number one class in the country and Texas A&M, you know, aspires to win national championships like Texas A&M hasn't, it hasn't attained that status. You know, Texas A&M is still a few notches below the Alabamas and Georgias of the world in the SEC, but Texas A&M wants to be the very best and Duke's able to pull A&M's defensive coordinator to Durham. That, that is highly impressive. And of course you guys both know that Mike Elko before A&M and before his uh, run at Notre Dame under Brian Kelly, he was in the ACC with Wake Forest. So he obviously knows the landscape of the ACC. So I, I think that that hire really fits on a lot of levels. All right, now let's get to the Hokies. That's the really important one, right? Uh, so I think Brent Pry is going to be an absolute knockout defensive leader. Uh, you know, I think the Bud Foster legacy, the Bud, Bud Foster tradition in Blacksburg, Brent Pry is going to continue that, or he's going to revive that. Like that, you're going to have rock solid defenses at Virginia Tech. The real question, of course, is the thing that Justin Fuente was not able to figure out. And it's the thing that, you know, it surprised all of us. Like, this is what's going to take down Justin Fuente. This is why he's failed to succeed. But it's true. He didn't figure out the quarterback spot. That's the last thing anybody expected when Fuente was hired for that job. But that is what Brent Pry needs to be able to solve. If he can, then, then good times are ahead uh, for the Hokies. Uh, and then, of course, Mario Cristobal at Miami. Now, you know, at Trojans Wire, I talk a lot to my partners over at Ducks Wire, part of the College Wire Network. We discussed a lot during the course of the season. You know, could Mario Cristobal leave? Could Ms. Mario Cristobal wondering about, you know, going home to mama? And it was all because, you know, Manny Diaz, it seemed early in the, in the 2021 season that he was going to get fired. So if the Miami job came open, you know, everyone's attention naturally did turn to Cristobal. And of course, as you guys know, the big concern at Miami or the big you know point of skepticism in terms of being able to land Cristobal was always the money. You know, was, was Miami going to put up the money needed to uh, to to attract and then and sign, seal and deliver Mario Cristobal? And so there was a lot of skepticism among Miami insiders in October into early November. But, you know, when push came to shove, you know, there was an epiphany uh, among the leadership uh, figures at the university. And there was a segment on college game day. Uh, I forget exactly what it was, but like Her Kirk Herbstreet questioned Miami's commitment uh, to football. Uh, and, and that was apparently a wake up call like that word got around about that. And so all these uh, insiders at Miami who, you know, were, were, were hedging their bets in terms of going all in on the football program, well, their chest puffed up and their eyebrows were, were raised and and they got all angry. And wait a minute, you're not going to talk about Miami like that. And so apparently, you know, that one game day segment, that just uh, stoked a fire and it changed the equation in terms of how much the in, internal power brokers in Coral Gables were willing to invest in the football program. Once that change was made, then they ponied up for Cristobal. Mama called, and you know, Cristobal was always going to leave for only one of two jobs: Alabama, and of course, Saban has that on lockdown, so that was not uh, a real uh, possibility. 
But the, the other one was Miami. And so the, the door swung open for Miami. The Canes finally offered a big league deal. And there you have it. So uh, Crystal Ball is going to be going to be really fascinating. The one other thing to say about Crystal Ball entering this uh, 2022 season with Miami. Tyler Van Dyke has to be wondering, you know, if he is in the right position. Now, I'm not saying like he should be uh, upset. I'm not saying he should be worried. But this is impossible to ignore. You, you're aware that Anthony Brown, uh, who was the quarterback at Oregon last year, didn't play very well at all. He's been tearing it up in the preseason with the Baltimore Ravens as a backup. Now, what does this tell you? Because Justin Herbert, you know, coming into the NFL draft a few years ago, under crystal ball at Oregon, he was not slinging the ball all over the field. You know, Marcus Arroyo was the offensive coordinator in 2019 at Oregon under crystal ball. And he had Herbert throwing a lot of screen passes, a lot of flat passes, very horizontal, not very aggressive, not very bold or aspirational. And that offense basically just kept Justin Herbert under wraps. Uh, Herbert never got to play for Joe Moorhead, uh, who was offensive coordinator in 2020 and 2021. And of course, Moorhead's the guy who you know was the offensive coordinator for Saquon Barkley and Trace McSorley at Penn State when those Penn State offenses really took off uh, six years ago. Um, so you know, Herbert never had Moorhead. Uh, and then, you know, more, more had had to coach Anthony Brown and, and Anthony Brown, you know, was not able to develop very much within the Mario Cristobal offense. So there's a theme here. Like what, you know, if we say one's an accident and two is a trend, well, there is a trend of Mario Cristobal not really developing his quarterbacks very fully. Uh, didn't happen with Justin Herbert. Didn't happen with Anthony Brown. So it's going to be very interesting to see how uh, things work out at Miami. I will say, uh, you know, on the plus side, if you're a Miami fan, that Josh Gaddis, the guy who helped Jim Harbaugh make the college football playoff and win the Big Ten at Michigan last year, well, Crystal Ball was able to lure him to Miami. So Tyler Van Dyke does seem to have a really good offensive coordinator. What Another thing Crystal Ball has done, Charlie Strong is his co-defensive coordinator and his linebacker coach. So there, there's a really strong pool of assistance that Mario Cristobal was able to bring to Miami. But that one item, quarterback development, that is certainly a fascinating question mark as Cristobal begins his tenure at Miami. This is why, this is why, we, this is why we have you here, Matt, for this insight. That's pretty, that's pretty incredible. I mean, I'm not even sure that Jeff and I even thought about that at that quarterback level for, for Miami. So just outstanding insight. Jeff, you're up, friend. All right. Thanks, Matthew. Uh, Matt, give us your thoughts on the momentum brewing uh, at ACC schools uh, like Wake Forest and, and North Carolina. And, and from my side, uh, working with, you know, collaborating kind of with the, the Trojans wire has absolutely been a, a big help to all sports discussion.com as, as last month uh, we reached a, a record amount of traffic on our site. And that, and that was in no small part to, to uh, you know, your we tweets and, you know, from, from your site. So we really appreciate that. Oh, it's been a, it's been a real pleasure. It's a real win win. And we're going to try and rack up more wins uh, between us now. Uh, in terms of momentum, now the the Sam Hartman situation at Wake Forest, you know that that's a lingering question mark, right? That that so that that puts a cloud over the Demon Deacons 
uh, entering this season. And, and you know that the Hartman situation might not amount to much, but we don't know. Like we, we just have to wait and see what's going on there. But to me, th- there are two, well, there are three stories that tower over the rest of ACC football heading into 2022. Now one is Miami and I've already just gone through the Mario Cristobal situation. So that that's kind of its own piece. We've dealt with that. But now the other two really, really big stories, Clemson and North Carolina State. Like those are the two huge stories. With Clemson, Dabo Swinney, you know, who has has openly expressed his distaste for the transfer portal. Like, you know, he's not Lincoln Riley, you know, just grabbing from all various other programs. He wants to do it homegrown. He wants to do it his way. So, okay, Dabo, if you if you want to do it like that, well, then you have a lot of coaching to do because you have to develop DJ Uyangalele. Uh, after you know who had the throwing yips you know this was chuck knoblock not being able to make a throw from second his position at second base over to first this was rick Ankeel, you know not just for totally forgetting how to pitch uh he has to solve the yips with uh and if he doesn't you know clemson's in a world of hurt and what adds to this is that Dabo's entering this year without his two longtime coordinators and you guys know uh that Clemson's continuity on the coaching staff, you know, Dabo not having to hire new coordinators regularly. It's, it's, it's just the opposite of Nick Saban. You know, Nick Saban, he has that revolving door. It's the Nick, Nick Saban Rehabilitation Center, you know, for uh, head coaches who stumble, step on a rake. So they go to Tuscaloosa to get therapy as a coordinator. And then they well just done. go through there. They go through there for two years, and then they get a job somewhere else. I mean, that's what Lane Kiffin did. It's what so many others have done, Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, But Dabo, he's had that rock-solid, steady coaching staff for so long. And so this year, he's not without one coordinator. He's without both. So it's going to be really, really, really fascinating to see how Dabo does this year in particular, coming off the struggles of last year, you know, so if Clemson doesn't win back the ACC this year, then it's it's reasonable to say, you know, hey, is is the party over? Like, it, it has this amazing, transformative, dynastic, historic run has it run its course? Has it come to an end? And maybe and maybe Clemson struggles this year, and maybe some people will throw dirt on Dabo Swinney's grave. But you know, if Clemson does struggle this year. Would that be the moment where Dabo says, you know what? I don't like the transfer portal, but maybe I have to use it. And there's another, you know, I mentioned Saban a little bit earlier. Here's a, a, a one of the, the most important things to remember about Saban as we consider how Dabo tries to keep the machine going at Clemson. You know, Nick Saban several years ago, we remember, you know, when he said, is this what we want football to be? You know, he didn't like the way the sport was evolving didn't like uh, you know all the bells and whistles of Gus Malzahn and the run-pass option and the more spread concepts. And football was becoming more like a video game. Saban didn't like it, all right? But what did he do? Did he just huff and puff and complain, or did he adjust? Did he adjust to the way the game was being played? He adjusted. Like, he realized that in modern college football, I don't like it. You know, Saban didn't like it. But he did realize, you know, the it's not you're not going to win 17-10. Like this is not 1990 and Gene Stallings anymore. No, you have to score 45, 50 points. That's how you have to win in modern college football. So Saban didn't like it, but he he still adjusted because he values winning. Like he 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 may has made the declaration 
in his actions as, as well as his words that, you know, I might not care for certain trends or certain styles, certain patterns, but if I need to adjust to them, if I need to uh, realign my program, you know, to meet those certain trends, I'm going to do it. And, he, and he's shown that he's been willing to do that. And that's why he is the best coach uh, in college football. So maybe Dabo, if he struggles this year, he'll have a come to Jesus moment. But maybe he can just win the ACC, get back to the college football playoff, and he can say to everyone uh, and all the doubters, you know what? I stuck to my guns. I stuck to my plan. I did it my way, and I got Clemson back on top. So you can all sit down and while Clemson regains its place on the mountaintop. So that's Clemson. And now we go to North Carolina State. We go to Raleigh and Dave Doran, who you know was on the hot seat a couple years ago. Like he was this close to being shoved out the door. And then, you know, he revived the program. He found a gem in Devin Leary at quarterback. And then also, you know, he's cultivated one of the best linebacker groups in the United States. And you guys have helped me, you know, with off-season research of the ACC. Uh, you know, you, you, your, your research has informed me just how good uh, North Carolina State's linebackers are. But anyway, so you have Clemson in this very uncertain position. You know, Clemson, you know, being knocked down a peg or two, last year and now you have North Carolina State with you know all its major contributors coming back and what what's the most amazing thing about North Carolina State football you could you could go a, a, in a number of directions but certainly one of the centrally most astounding facts about North Carolina State as a football program is that it is one of only four power 5 programs only four in the whole country that have never been to a New Year's Six Bowl, and and by New Year's Six, you know we can we can apply it to past eras. The B, a BCS Bowl, a Bowl Alliance game, a Bowl Coalition game, a new a traditional New Year's Day game, whatever you you call it through various eras of college football history. NC State is one of four Power Fives to never make one of those games. The other three programs, by the way, for people here here listening to the All Sports Discussion podcast. Vanderbilt, Rutgers, and South Carolina. So, so North Carolina State is part of a, a, the wrong kind of Final Four. And so this is a year where, you know, if, you, if you're not going to do it now, Dave Doran, when are you ever going to do it? So, you know, can, can North Carolina State go 10-2? and two? You know, usually like 10-2 and two seems to be within reach, but then there is that one step on a rake game that's winnable and it slips out of the Wolfpack's fingers and they finish nine and three and they go to the Gator Bowl. And you know, no offense to the Gator Bowl, it's a pretty good bowl game, but you know, it's time for the Wolfpack to get to that New Year's Six game for the first time. And and let's uh throw in the added historical note. Iowa State was one of those power fives that had never been to a top tier bowl game. Uh Matt Campbell led Iowa State to the Fiesta Bowl. Two years ago, so Iowa State got off of that list. This year, North Carolina State is the team uh, which can get off the list. So it is an absolutely monumental season in Raleigh. And I would say, and I don't think this is hyperbole, no program, no program faces more pressure than North Carolina State. And I know I realize that at Alabama, the pressure is always intense. But, you know, Nick Saban has had a few clunky seasons he comes back the next year and he does great. So, like, e e even if Alabama doesn't make the national championship game, like, yes, the folks in Tuscaloosa would freak out. But certainly in a larger context, 
it wouldn't really be a disaster. It would be bad, but it wouldn't be an absolute disaster. Um, but it, at North Carolina State, th like this is the time to finally put an end to that New Year's Six bowl drought. So Miami, Clemson, and Dabo with the new coordinators and Uyangalele having the yips and then North Carolina State's pursuit of history. Those are the three bit really big stories in the ACC this year. All right. All right, Matt. And and you alluded to this in, in your previous answer. Do, do you think Clemson gets that offense fixed or is it just too, you just don't know right now. What, what do you think about that? So, so, you know, would I be stunned if, if the answer is yes, no, because it's Clemson, it's Dabo. Like, you know, he's, he's an elite coach for a reason, but, when you consider how how consistent, you know what struck me about 2021, Jeff, it was how consistently Uyangalale struggled. Like it was not as though he'd have an occasional bad game. No, he was consistently below par. And so when I look at that, you know, through a whole season, problems not getting fixed, confidence not being rebuilt. That's that's what makes me really worry uh, about uh, Uyangalale and about the Clemson offense. Now, of course. You know, now there's a freshman in there, an elite freshman who could uh, ride to the rescue. And, you know, we remember uh, Chase Bryce, you know, coming in for Kelly Bryant uh, and and uh, leading that late rally against Syracuse, which saved Clemson's season. But that was one game. It's not as though Chase Bryce, uh, you know, was was a dynamic quarterback for that whole season in 2017. I mean, he made a few clutch plays that saved the year against Syracuse, but, you know, would a would a freshman backup be able to carry the team the whole way? Probably not. Like he's probably going to step in a few potholes if he does uh, receive the keys to the offense and become uh, the unquestioned leader uh, with you know Uyangalale benched. So you know, right now, I just think that the problems were too ingrained and consistent with the Clemson offense uh, last year for me to say. You know what? I think this is going to be fixed. I, I I actually am on record as saying no. I don't think it's going to be fixed. At least not enough. And I know Clemson's going to have a top five defense in the country. That defense is going to be breathing fire. Uh, it's going to be absolutely awesome. And Clemson will win its share of ugly 17, 10, 20 to thirteen games. But can a defense do that the whole year? Twelve times, eleven times. I don't think so. I think I think Clemson loses at least twice and losing at least twice, you know, puts the ACC in jeopardy. And it certainly takes Clemson out of the college football playoff. All right, Matt, uh, this next section, we're going to call this our lightning round questions. Um, we, we, I got a series of questions for you concerning the ACC uh, and national. Who is your preseason ACC football coach of the year? Cristobal. All right. Who is the ACC football coach or coaches uh, on the hot seat going into the season? Well, you got a lot. You got a lot here, but I think the number <laughs> one hot seat, the hottest seat, is at Georgia Tech on the flats with Jeff Collins. I, there's no question about that. Also, Dino Babers, got to put him there. And then you know the two really intriguing hot seat situations where I don't think they're going to get fired because I think their teams are going to do well enough to avoid the hot seat. But Mike Norvell at Florida State, Scott Satterfield at Louisville, like they have to do well this year. Uh, and I would define that as minimum, minimum seven and five. Like you better win at least seven 
in both situations. If you're six and six, you're you're really skating on thin ice. And if by chance either of those coaches goes five and seven, they are gone. Uh, that that's my read of the situations at Florida State and Louisville. Now, so now Florida State fans, hey. Eight games. Uh, but uh, you know, if, if you if you win only five games, then then it, then it's real trouble for uh, both Norvell and Satterfield. All right, all right, and and, and a good start for Florida State yesterday as they they beat Duquesne. Uh, you know, not not much of an opponent there, but. Um, you can look bad or good in any any game, and, and Jordan Travis played very well. They ran the ball extremely well in that game with their real test coming up next week uh, against LSU. All right, Matt, well, let's, right, talk, Matt um, let's talk. Um, uh, uh, Matt, can you uh, mute uh, yourself can you, uh, mute when you're not talking? Yeah. Uh, who plays for and wins uh, the ACC title? So I think Clemson is going to get to the ACC championship game, and it's just because Clemson plays North Carolina State at home. Uh, I, you know, I, NC State at Clemson, that's the Atlantic game of the year, and I think it's going to be extremely close. Uh, and now, as much as I'm not uh, fully convinced that Clemson's going to solve its offense, I do think that Clemson's defense – uh, can play an elite game and it can win, you know, a 20 to 13 rock fight uh, over NC State, um, you know, in uh, in a Memorial Stadium in Death Valley. So I think Clemson gets by NC State, does just enough to win the Atlantic. But I do think that Miami waiting there in the ACC title game, I think that Miami can swamp Clemson with, you know, a very strong defensive performance. And I think that, you know, what Tyler Van Dyke, uh, and that Miami offense bring to the table. I think that you know Clemson, Clemson can beat NC State uh, it, with with just defense. I don't, I'm not sure it can beat NC State and Miami with just defense. Clemson's probably going to need a little bit more offense to beat Miami, and I don't think it's going to find the solution. So I do have Miami over Clemson in the ACC championship game. All right. All right. Uh, let's go national here. Give us your four college football playoff teams as of today. Who do you think wins the national title? And, uh, you know, now that you've got Miami winning the ACC and, and not Clemson, you know, does does Miami sneak into the playoff? Yeah, so I, I don't think Miami makes the playoff because I think that the, the Hurricanes are going to stumble at least once, uh, if not twice, during the regular season. Um, so, so you're probably going to have a two-loss ACC champion, and that leaves the ACC out of the mix. I don't think you're going to see the Pac-12 make the playoff either because I think that uh, Utah probably loses once during the regular season and then will lose to the USC Trojans in the Pac-12 championship game. So the Pac-12 champion is also going to have two losses. So what I think, and you know, frankly, I hope I'm wrong on this, but I think that you're going to see Alabama and Georgia get in again you know, the SEC getting two teams. You know, I know you're everyone's favorite scenario, right? You know, just, just you know, stab my eyes with a fork. But I think it's going to happen as much as I don't like it. Uh, so Alabama and Georgia getting back in. I think Ohio State, 
you know, I have my doubts about Ryan Day, but I think he addressed a lot of those doubts by hiring Jim Knowles as his defensive coordinator. You know, Kerry Combs was a disaster for Ohio State at defensive coordinator last year, and Jim Knowles did a terrific job at Oklahoma State. So I think Ohio State's defense is going to be much, much better. The Buckeyes will, you know, probably aren't going to lose more than once. They will win the Big Ten. They'll beat Michigan. They will represent uh, the Big Ten in the college football playoffs. So that leaves the fourth spot, and I think it's going to be a battle between Notre Dame and Oklahoma. Notre Dame's schedule is really tough. You know, Notre Dame's probably going to lose to Ohio State. So even though the Irish have the talent to be a national championship team, a, a college football playoff team at least, um, there's they're probably going to pick up a second loss. You know, they play Clemson. They might lose that game. They also play at USC late in the year on Thanksgiving weekend. I don't think Notre Dame goes 11 and one, but if Notre Dame does go 11 and one, it will be in the playoff. Like 11 and one with that schedule, Irish are definitely in. I just think they're going to probably end up 10 and two. So that leaves the final spot to Oklahoma. I think that Oklahoma wins the Big 12. Uh, and I think the Big 12 is in a, in a down cycle. Also, Oklahoma State losing Jim Knowles as defensive coordinator. I think that's going to hurt the Cowboys. Uh, Kansas State, I'm not sold because they have Adrian Martinez, the transfer from Nebraska. I don't think that's a really big upgrade for the Wildcats at quarterback. And uh, you know, Baylor is really Oklahoma's primary challenger in the Big 12. The game is in Oklahoma. So I think that Brent Venables... You know, with Dylan Gabriel at quarterback, like the Oklahoma offense is still going to be good. Might not be spectacular because you don't have Lincoln Riley calling plays anymore, but I think it's still going to be good enough to get the Sooners uh, back to the college football playoff. So, uh, I, I and I would ultimately say that you're probably looking at Alabama and Ohio State. I know that that is total chalk. You know, it's one versus two. It's going with you know the the national consensus, but. Hey, you know, if you followed the sport the past few years, you know that this is a sport where the elites actually do rise to the table. You know, it's not something where, uh, you know, St. Peter's gets into the final eight, you know, in college basketball, you know, or North Carolina, you know, is a number. The, North Carolina was a blue blood, of course, but North Carolina was also a number eight seed. You know, you don't have uh, that in college football. So I, I know that the scenario is, you know, yucky. For ACC fans and ACC listeners, but you know, at least that's my prediction of how the season's going to play out. All right, Matthew, I'm going to turn it over to you for the last couple questions in the podcast. Matt, your insight's been awesome on this podcast. It's just been terrific. The, the Miami QB thing was something I, I don't think Jeff and I ever thought of about how Tyler Van Dyke could be mentored and you know the past series of of how Mario Cristobal's QB mentoring and things like that had gone. So that was just it. That was incredible insight. And I don't think that we've really heard too many people out there say that. So we really appreciate your, your take. It's one thing that we're going to watch this season. Uh, I was really impressed with that. Uh, how do you think the ACC should pursue college football re re realignment? Like, what should the conference do to compete in this new, new environment? Do you think... For example, that ESPN is going to try to up its game to be a bigger partner of the ACC because Jeff kind of blogged about this this week, Matt. 
Well, I go back to what I said about, you know, the ACC network and, and giving ESPN, you know, incentive to sweeten the pot, you know, to fatten up the, the number of dollars uh, and the package for an ACC football media rights deal. So getting a non-con arrangement with the Pac-12, broadening and diversifying your time slots so that you're not going head to head with the Big Ten and the SEC like that's that's what the ACC should do in terms of its television programming. And more specifically, it's football programming. Now, I know that you guys are really good at, you know, holding the ACC accountable and mentioning that, you know, hey, the ACC network, why do we have this network? You know, first off, it should be, you know, available on Comcast. It should have wider distribution and visibility, but also you should be putting more games on it. You should be putting more games on that network, you know, since ACC fans want that to be a central hub, a central destination. So you just need to make the ACC network uh, a lot more attractive. Now, in terms of schools, you know, in terms of new members, um, you know, that that is a much uh, tougher problem to solve. I think the one main thing to say to all the ACC fans listening in is that we, you know, we should not expect a significant uh, realignment shift on the chessboard in the next three, uh, three and a half years or so, because college football playoff deal, the 12-year deal, runs out at the end of the 2025 season. Uh, and then, you, then you'll get the new playoff plan in 2026. And you'll also have Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame's current TV deal runs out in 2025, new TV deal in 2026. So with, you know, with those, when those things get solved, then you might see you know, a, a different uh, viewpoint on the, ch- the college sports chessboard you know, and where, where teams feel they need to be situated, what's advantageous, where they can get the most money, uh, you know, how the playoff influences everything you know, in terms of the playoff size, what, how many at-large bids there are, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you're probably not going to see any significant moves uh, for the next three years, like USC and UCLA, the Big Ten you know, was the one move. Now there were there was a thought in the first few weeks after that move, oh maybe you know one of these conferences is going to really spring for an opportunity, or maybe the Pac-12 was so weak that it was going to get poached. You know, the member schools might panic, but it seemed as though we got past that period where you know a panic move or a panic buy uh, might have occurred. So I think we're going to see a you know no no major moves. For the next few years, and everybody's going to wait for that new postseason plan in 2026 to be announced. And I think on the heels of that, you will then see movement. And of course, you guys know that you know the grant of rights, the exit fees, the exit penalties. Right now, the, the, any such fees for you know breaking the grant of rights, breaking all these uh, deals, are going to be enormous. But in five years, they won't be nearly as huge as they are now. And maybe there will be. Uh, changes in the overall landscape that will enable schools uh, to get out of various arrangements, not just in the ACC, but in other conferences uh, as well. Um, so th- that's that's the larger view of realignment. But I think the AC, what the ACC really needs to do is just make the ACC network as visible and as lucrative uh, as possible. Like it, you, 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 have the, you have a conference network, you need to invest in it. Like we saw we saw how the Pac-12 was hamstrung by Pac-12 network, um, you know, not getting on direct TV, not getting the distribution, not getting the prime inventory uh, that really would have made it a bigger brand. Um, you know, when Larry Scott thought that Pac-12 network was going to be good for the Olympic sports, 
and he wasn't wrong, but you can't make that your number one priority. You have to make it football the central priority of a conference network. And so that's where the ACC really has a lot of work to do. Just outstanding, Just outstanding season, Matt. Just really a terrific choice. Open microphone time. What do you got for us, Matt? Floor is yours. Well, I would just say, uh, you know, and, and I did hear you talking about this uh, before our show started, but, you know, it's really fun to be a Big Ten blogger now. Uh, it's, uh, it's a special new chapter in my life here at Trojans Wire. Uh, but, you know, beyond that, let me just say, I don't like the move from USC to the, to the big 10. Now I can say that I completely understand why it happened. Like, you know, the big 10 and Fox were saying here, USC, here's tens of millions of extra dollars every year for the next seven years. Take it. Like no one's going to turn that down. So, you know, people might be angry at USC for doing what it did, but Hey, if you're a university president, if you're Carol Fultz, the president of USC, are you going to turn down all that loot that Fox just shoved right in front of your face? No, you're not going to do that. And of course, that is partly a product of Larry Scott not making the Pac-12 network more lucrative. It's also a product of Scott's decision in 2018. You know, he, there was a chance for Scott to say, you know what, as much as we like to have exclusive ownership, you know, the Pac-12 exclusively owned the Pac-12 network. No other outside entity or broadcaster had a share of ownership. It was exclusive to the Pac-12, so they kept 100% of revenues. And that sounds good, you know, in theory, but to not have ESPN operating Pac-12 network, to not have control over the conference, you know, that was just a major error in terms of the long-term vision for the conference. Because if ESPN had been operating Pac-12 network uh, and had, you know, been part of those internal operations, having the share of ownership, USC and UCLA don't leave for the Big Ten. So there were a lot of decisions, a lot of mistakes made by Larry Scott. And Larry Scott was enabled to make those mistakes by the Pac-12 presidents and chancellors. So USC is existing in that very flawed, very broken situation where its long-term revenue forecast is going to be pretty meager compared to the Big Ten and the SEC. So the Big Ten and Fox come along and offer all that cash. L listen, USC was never, ever going to turn that down. And for anyone who thinks that George Klyavkov should have offered um, USC, you know, an extra uneven share of Pac-12 revenue, well, okay, he should have done that. You know, he didn't, and he should have done that. But it probably wasn't going to make any sense. Like, USC was probably out the door no matter what. Klyavkov just came into this process too late. You know, if he had come in in 2019, maybe that would have been enough time to really work with USC, to work with ESPN, get the ship turned around. But coming in in the summer of 2021, it was just too late. And, you know, the Oklahoma-Texas move to the SEC came basically um, three weeks into Klyavkov's tenure. You know, he started July 1 of 2021. The Oklahoma-Texas move to the SEC happens three weeks later you had to have known that USC to the Big Ten, uh, not, not that it was likely, but like it was being whispered about behind the scenes. Like it was a consideration. It was being thought of by administrators and power brokers. Everyone could see that the, the economics of college sports and the alignment of the national map were changing. 
So if, if USC to the Big Ten was a whisper, it was like a back channel point of intrigue last year, you know, it, that train had basically left the station. I think it's fair to say that USC was, you know, privately mulling it over, thinking about it, uh, and, and then, you know, pounced and set the, set the plan into motion this year. So it was just too late in the process for Klyavkov to do anything about it. Now, he should have done a few things to at least try. They probably wouldn't have worked, though, and I think people need to be aware of that. Very good take, Matt. Jeff, you're up. Yeah, I wanted to touch on a couple things that, that Matt alluded to as far as, um, you know, the ACC network uh, based on <clears throat> um, some information that came out this week uh, from Burke Magnus, uh, one of the ESPN's top executives, I think he's actually the number two guy, and, and Matt touched on a couple of these points uh, about content, you know, increasing the content, how, how um, ESPN, how invested they are with the ACC and ACC network, and there was an excellent a podcast interview by the Marchand and Uren Sports Media Podcast. Uh, I think it was on Tuesday, but we also have it linked on the blog from August 24th. I really recommend uh, anyone interested in the topic to, to listen to this podcast because it's pretty rare that you get this kind of insight from that from someone that high up in ESPN talking about each conference and how ESPN is working with them. Um, you know, the things that, that Magnus said on, on this podcast are better than, you know, 200 Twitter rumors going around. And as concerning the ACC, and I'll just say it briefly, I'll quote, he said that ESPN had every incentive to help raise the revenue of the ACC. And he talked about several possibilities for this centering around, you know, increasing content, uh, which could include a ninth ACC football game. Um, increased league games for basketball. Uh, who knows if if there anyone out there is listening to to Matt's idea and he might want to get an exclusive window for ACC football in the morning. Uh, but he also spoke um, quite a bit about the investment the ESPN made into the ESPN or to the ACC network. And we talked about this on the blog in early July. We suspected that ESPN didn't want to orchestrate the demise of the ACC because of how much they invested. And what Magnus said basically confirmed that even more so uh, because he talked about all of the upfront costs that ESPN had to invest and the work they had to put in to get the network fully distributed, which it became uh, at the end of last year when Comcast came aboard. So they're looking at this like a successful venture. And I don't he made it pretty clear that's not something they're going to aim to to just blow up. So I think ACC fans can definitely, you know, feel comfortable in the knowledge that ESPN is going to work with the ACC. It's not just ACC ADs and leaders who talked about it earlier uh, in the month of July. Now you have ESPN's number two guy who basically is running this saying, yes, we will work with the ACC. You know, I do not expect it uh, that you're going to catch the SEC and big 10, um, but you don't necessarily have to, you just have to be in the ballpark and ESPN's not in the business of just handing out money. 
but he listed several opportunities to work with the ACC. And I think, you know, who knows how it'll look in, in five or six years, but anyway, anything that can increase revenue is a good thing. And, you know, as Matt and I, Matthew and I have talked, you know, we definitely feel like the ACC is in a good place um, that where work needs to be done, but at least for the next five years. And, you know, if there is a significant increase from ESPN, you know, this, this could go another 10 or 12 years. Uh, and then that contract is up for renegotiation, but it has to start with uh, the two entities working together, ESPN and the ACC. And I think you're going to definitely, uh, you're going to definitely see that. And then last note, looking ahead to Labor Day, ACC with some huge non-conference games, uh, Backyard Brawl, Thursday, Pitt, West Virginia, uh, game day is going to be there. We talked about it uh, briefly, Florida State, LSU, Sunday night. That's a huge game. Um, I think Florida State, it was hugely advantageous to them to get a game in uh, against uh, Duquesne prior to playing LSU. You just can't simulate that game game feel even against an opponent like that. So uh, I think that that's – I don't know if necessarily Florida State's going to win that game. I'm not going to predict it. But I think that really does help them. And North Carolina played this pack past weekend, uh, has Appalachian State. And ooh, the way the North Carolina defense looked, uh, Tony Graham's not sure if he's going to be able to play. They're one of their top defenders. Uh, Drake May, the quarterback, looked really good. But I can see a lot of people picking App State to win that game. Uh, and I'm one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, I'm Matt. Okay, I'm Matt, Matt. I'm going to use this uh, open use microphone this. to a a ask you a question. And I, in fact, Jeff, I'll ask you this question too. The ACC Network has advertised this uh, product called Tri Egg Pod. I'm wondering if each of you have bought it. <laughs> I can't say that I have, but. Uh... Yeah, nope. that, that might be something nope, no, that sir. the ACC Network needs to work on on when it comes to ad revenue. I, I don't think that one's catching the Big Ten. <laughs> uh, Matt, Matt, for the last for the last several weeks, we've seen this advertisement on on the ACC Network for for Try Egg Pod, and I guess I'm going to have to send it to you because it it looks like an advertisement out of the 1970s. Yeah. I saw that Joe Ovi's, you know, the the uh, North Carolina-based radio host. He said I bought an egg pod, and I I wondered, hey, what's that all about? So, like, at least I heard about the egg pod, of, uh, you know, a few hours before jumping on this podcast. It's going to have the Mike London is a cop lore to it, I think. Aha! Uh -huh. It's also the Brock Osweiler is six eight, and Colt McCoy and Jordan Shipley were roommates. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's going to have that sort of lure to it. Matt, thanks so so much for joining the All Sports Discussion ACC podcast. We would love to have you come on the show again sometime. You just have expert insight analysis and analysis, and you've been a great supporter of our podcast and our website. And we really appreciate your partnership with us through Trojans Wire. And you are welcome. We would love to have you come back on here again sometime. Thank you so much, Matt. Well, you know, my relationship with all sports discussion is one of uh, my most special connections in the sports media 
business. Looking forward to many more years of working together with you guys. Have a great week, guys. Thanks so much.